2: The Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike V. Hills. Sam Cooper, how
3: are you doing? I'm ready to fucking play, Mike. Do you want to fucking play? <laughs> or, or what?
2: <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> that was such an amazing moment. Uh, of all the people for Josh Jackson to criticize... TJ Warren is a funny one to choose considering how amazing TJ Warren has been and how disappointing Josh Jackson has been up till this point. But that was such a great moment to see that kind of passion from Josh Jackson.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you got to appreciate the passion. We'll talk about that more later too. But uh, to Josh, I'll just say this. The way TJ Warren is playing right now, no TJ Warren slander is... um, allowed on on this podcast right now because he's been no he's been our most consistent player
2: well here's one thing i will say i know we didn't plan on getting into this right off the bat <laughs> but here's one thing i will say about tj warren he forgets plays a lot have you noticed that he has to get directed around the court maybe more than any other player off ball it seems like uh commonly uh somebody like devin booker or even isaiah cannon or a lot uh, recently jamal crawford has been sort of pointing at where he needs to be on the floor off the ball when they're starting to run a play. Maybe this is a result of him not playing in the starting lineup, but I, I've noticed that even in previous years, he's a little bit of a space cadet.
3: Well, first of all, that's true. There was a moment last night where uh, the camera panned over to Igor for about five seconds, and you could just hear him yelling, TJ, TJ, and pointing, pointing him uh, over <laughs> somewhere. I don't know exactly what the play was. But here's the thing. TJ's playing power forward right now. He's never done that on a consistent basis. Right. That's a whole different... Play. I mean, you have to relearn the playbook uh, at that point because you, there are different expectations of what you're doing on offense uh, and defense, for that matter. So that, that could play into it. But he is a bit of a space cadet. I,
2: yeah. I agree. Yeah, he's a bit of a, a Clay. <laughs> a bit of a Clay Thompson, especially now with his shooting stroke where it, where it's at. But uh, since the last time we spoke, the Suns have played only two games. We, we recorded a late podcast uh, at the beginning of this last week. So... Uh, the first one was a 116-96 20-point victory against the San Antonio Spurs, and the other one was a 110-100 loss against the Thunder. Let's talk about that Spurs victory uh, first. So first of all, I thought that was the best, even with Devin Booker sort of being out of his element, I thought that was the best that this team has looked so far. Would you agree?
3: Yeah, for for sure. I mean... Well, other than maybe the Mavs game. Uh, but the difference is the Mavs game took a fourth quarter explosion from Devin Booker in order to even win the game. The Spurs game didn't take that because you had all the role players, uh, fulfilling their role. Mikhail Bridges had a very promising first start. Isaiah Kanan, five for five from the three point line. Right. It's really easy to shit on Isaiah Kanan and say that the Suns need a real point card. Yeah. You, you noticed after that game, he shot seven of eight from the field, five for five from three, and there weren't many critics, uh, crawling out from the woodwork, uh, to talk about Isaiah Kanan after that game, because it's a lot harder when your point guard uh, shoots perfect from beyond the arc.
2: Well, uh, Melton played a little bit too, but the two main point guards in that game were were, uh, Isaiah Kanan and and Jamal Crawford, who's actually been playing a lot of point guard recently. And uh, combined, Crawford and Kanan were 9 for 10 shooting. And here's the thing about that. It was awesome. Yeah, right. These guys were catching it off the ball or or, or, uh, Crawford had a few off the dribble. Uh, Canaan even had a last second buzzer beating (laughs) shot in that game, but that's unsustainable. We can't count on those two guys to go 9 for 10 in order to win games. And of course, we had some cushion. It was a a 20-point victory, but that's the type of thing where, while it was very fun to watch in this game, can't really count on it from a game-to-game basis, and it was needed, I think, early on in this game in order to build that uh, lead like we did.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's unsustainable. I mean, the team shot 15 of 31 from three, 48%, good for them. Uh, but it's it's completely unsustainable yeah. so you got to think of other ways that um that you can make a positive impact going forward and and I thought the Suns actually found some of that in the thunder game uh in particularly in terms of um steals on defense and and creating transition offense was something we saw in that game that we just haven't seen from that team uh, all year long including for the most part in that Spurs game as well
2: yeah it's kind of weird how slow we talked about it a little bit in the last podcast it was nice to see it speed up a little bit but it, it it's kind of weird how slowly this team has played. We bottom. I think we're bottom five, or we were before that OKC game. In pace, it's probably picked up since that game. That there was a fast pace section of that game, especially when the benches were playing. The benches, by the way, ours versus theirs. The Suns' bench played pretty awfully in that game. Uh, an interesting game. No Russell Westbrook. Brook again. Uh, so, of course, Isaiah Canaan went off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that doesn't really happen. But we did see a lot of interesting things. Mikhail started that game, too. So, Mikhail's been doing pretty good. Mikhail gr- played great in the Spurs game. A lot of defense on uh, their best players. And DeMar DeRozan, a lot of defense on him. Uh, Mikhail played again, started again in that OKC game. He had 14-2-2. He's 4-7, for seven, a really good game. Um, interesting thing, Jamal Crawford, who the last season that Jamal Crawford did not play in the NBA was in the 90s. That's an actual fact. And he played the most minutes so far this season. He had 23 minutes in that game. He had seven points and five assists. So far, in the last few games, I would say the last three games, it appears that Jamal Crawford might be the best player on our team at getting the ball to DeAndre Ayton. There's been a lot of assists. He had five assists in um, this game. He had four assists in the Spurs game. And uh, he he's doing pretty well at sort of penetrating. There's not a lot of dribble penetration outside of even Devin Booker, but now Devin Booker's not getting a lot of dribble penetration on his own because of uh, he's just not been playing very well since that injury. So really, uh, the only two guys I would say that are getting dribble penetration at this point are Josh Jackson and Jamal Crawford. Josh Jackson not being a great passer at this time. Jamal Crawford seems to be finding uh, DeAndre Ayton on the role a lot. His role has increased, Jamal Crawford. And I'd say he's playing pretty well. This is kind of what you expected when we when we first talked about him. And I know his defense has been yeah. awful. But how do you feel about Jamal Crawford? Are you coming around at all on, Jamal, on the Jamal Crawford experience?
3: Am I coming around? Well, Jamal Crawford by definition is um a streaky player. Right? So he's going to have he's going to have good stretches and and I would certainly classify this right now as one of his good stretches uh, over the past couple of games. Um it's not that I don't like Jamal Crawford, it's just that I don't trust that this sort of playmaking We've got we've got an 18 year sample on Jamal Crawford's career that tells us that this guy isn't really a playmaker. It's not really what he does for other teams. I I just I, I don't think it's unreasonable for me to be skeptical about this guy is going to buy into a new type of offensive system in his, his 18th season in the league and suddenly become a playmaker. Now I will say um, to your point, he's he's done pretty well in the last couple of games. In fact, we talked about T. Anthony Melton is getting minutes now. DeAnthony Melton for mm-hmm. as good of a defender as he's um as he is and and the amount of defensive pressure that he applies on the perimeter when Melton and Crawford play together I think Crawford is the shooting guard in spirit but really he's handling the point guard duties and and yeah. Melton is not playing the distributor role in 42 total minutes that he's played this season stretched out over four games he's only got two assists and he sort of defers to Crawford as as really handling all of the uh distributive responsibilities so um I will give Jamal Crawford some credit in terms of the past couple games, I just I would caution all of the Suns fan base I I don't know if it's sustainable or not yet.
2: So with Jamal Crawford though, here's here's what I will say. And maybe the increase in minutes is because Devin Booker's not quite himself and we're going to talk a little bit more about Devin Booker in a minute, but maybe the increased minutes are because Devin Booker's not quite himself so he's not really getting any dribble penetration, but one of the problems with not having a point guard so far this season is that if the shot clock is winding down and the ball ends up in anyone's hand besides Devin Booker, anyone's at all, it becomes an isolation and it's been a lot of uh, Isaiah Canaan isolations and and I would rather that be Jamal Crawford at this point, but one of the problems we've had is if if Booker's the only guy that can get inside the paint with with his dribble, you know, of course Ayton can get there with posting up, but if he's the only guy that can get in the paint with his dribble, that makes it really hard for him to succeed because what Devin Booker actually talked about this. He said that teams were playing what he called a corral defense. He talked about this after the Spurs game, and you saw it a lot in the previous few games. And what they're doing is essentially loading up the paint as soon as Devin Booker comes around a pick and roll. Now, Devin Booker has the ability of passing to corners and or around the court. Um, the skip pass is hard for him. We haven't really seen him pass over a defender to get to a guy on the opposite on the weak side. It's not really his, his game. So they're just loading up the paint. And what that led to is a lot of turnovers. We saw it happen. You know, he had 12 assists in both these games, we should say. So his yes. passing is, is pretty good so far, but he's had a lot of turnovers still. And if teams are going to play that kind of uh, defense against Booker, he needs another guy who can play make. Uh, besides him. And I think that's why Crawford's minutes have gone up because he can at least, he can break his man down. First of all, he can also run an adequate pick and roll. It's not really been his game. He, I think he prefers to isolate the sort of James Harden, no pick and roll, you know, where, where, where it still opens up a big man because you draw a second defender when you isolate and pass, uh, your defender, Uh, So I understand why Jamal Crawford's minutes are increasing, and I think that it's not – I don't see it as something that's going to go down. I think until we get another point guard – it, that's it, He's the best we got as far as another guy who can help him uh, playmake. Who who else can do it? Josh Jackson can't really do no. it. It's not TJ Warren's game, as no. good as he's been. Um, the other guy, of course, is DeAndre Ayton, but he's not bringing the ball up. He's not running a pick and roll. He can only catch it at the top of the key and then playmake from that position or maybe every once in a while on a, on a short roll or in the post. So I understand why Jamal Crawford's minutes been going up, and I think he actually does well. This is the other thing I want to say about Crawford. I'm sorry. I'm I'm kind of ISOing here. I didn't plan on doing this, but... With Jamal Crawford, he seems to be the only vet so far that's embraced the veteran leadership role on the court. Now, I can't say much about what Tyson Chandler previously or Ariza or Anderson. Ariza! Anderson! i got to say it like that every time now. (laughs) I can't say much about what those two guys are doing in the locker room. But I can say that when things are not going right on the court, these guys are the first guys to hang their head and these guys are the first guys to look like they're giving up on the court so far. But that's not been Jamal Crawford. There's been moments in this, uh, in these last few games where uh, the other team's making a run and all he's doing is trying to get everybody back engaged. There was one specific moment I really liked where, uh, first of all, Stephen Adams is absolutely incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew this guy had the ability to have the post moves that he's got? It's not what we expected out of him when he came into the No, he's, he's, he's not
3: nearly as one-dimensional as he used to be.
2: No, he's been incredible. His defense is amazing. He's got post moves. He can isolate. He, he can score on his own, uh, mostly back to the basket moves. But there was one specific play where Adams broke uh, DeAndre Ayton down and scored. That happened quite a few times in the last two <clears throat> games against OKC. But the first thing that happened was Aiton put his head down and he was sort of walking back down the court. So somebody else passed it into Jamal Crawford and Jamal Crawford immediately made eye contact with DeAndre and He said, get down there, sprint, move. Because as we've seen, when Aiton fully sprints down the court, fully runs down the court, he can get positioned so fast that the ball can get down to him and he can score. And I believe that's what happened on that next play. And that was because Jamal Crawford recognized that that last play had affected DeAndre Ayton. He's starting to feel it, getting broken down by a guy like Steven Adams. And he got his energy back up, and he got him down the court, and he reminded him, hey, this takes focus at all times. And I've seen that from Jamal Crawford. And basically what I'm saying is I think I've talked myself into the Jamal Crawford experience. I'm kind of enjoying it Um, (laughs) with what we've got. uh, It's really all I can look forward to. I think maybe he might be the only one that's sort of embraced that leadership role. Yeah,
3: well, with regard to what you're saying about leadership, I, I think that's a really good point, actually. Um, talking about on-court performance, is there another playmaker on this team that can sort of create for themselves? Uh, we've yet to see it, but maybe it's Elia Kobo at some point down the line. Maybe he'll earn those minutes because he definitely has the spacing, the uh, the step-back three-point ability that we've seen. I, I mean, I could look, I could count it on my hand the uh, the number of times he's actually shown it in a game this season, but uh, it, maybe it appears in the second half of the year. For now, though, you're right; it's it's going to be Jamal, and um, like it or not. Look, the minutes will probably go down when Trevor Reza comes back next game a little bit, but he might have earned himself a 15 to 20-minute per game roll whether I like it or not.
2: Well, here's what I'll say, Sam. Don't be surprised if Jamal Crawford starts at some point because Cannon hasn't been doing much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I
3: know, I know, but I don't like it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't like that at all.
2: There were moments in uh, these last games that Mikhail Bridges was guarding point guards yeah and if Mikhail keeps the starting spot I don't think he's going to keep it over DeAndre um, I'm sorry over Trevor Reza and we should talk about that next actually but if he does if it ends up being Mikhail Bridges in the starting lineup and is relegated to a bench role I don't see that happening but if it does happen I think that Jamal Crawford could be that guy uh, in the game and you know Jamal Crawford might just be guarding a, a player that's taller than him that just generally shoots three pointers which every team seems to have in their starting lineup. It's hard to hide both Devin Booker and Jamal Crawford, though. So I'm not sure how good our defense will, will be. And I know, actually, it'll be very bad in, in those lineups. But I, I don't know that there's a, a fix for that, except for maybe De'Anthony Melton, as who, as we talked about, is not really the secondary playmaker that Devin Booker seems to need. So there's no perfect solution, but no. it just wouldn't surprise me.
3: Secondary playmaker notwithstanding, what describe to me, what is the problem with doing what I see as the sensible thing, which is, look, Devin Booker has a turnover problem. He showed it in the game against the Spurs. He didn't show it in the game against OKC, where he had 12 assists uh, and only one turnover. So why is it not sensible to move Booker mm-hmm. over to point guard? I know we've had this conversation a thousand times. You start Booker, along no, with Bridges at the two, he's at the three, Warren at the four with his shot, and Ayton at the five. Now, I understand, I, I already think I know what you're going to say, that those three role players from two to four can't be that that secondary playmaker in the way that maybe Devin Booker needs otherwise he's going to become a turnover machine but why is that lineup that I just mentioned why would that be worse than um, Jamal Crawford starting at the one
2: it's time to do that okay i'm i'm 100% okay, on cool. board i think it's then, time to then do there's that. No because i don't I, I just don't think i just don't think that's going to happen okay. <laughs> that's the only reason i predicted jamal crawford starting lineup before that but i think it's time ariza has been out we don't know why uh, I don't know if you saw that Dan Bickley was was I, I he reported that maybe that it was looking like he would be going back to Houston. I don't think that that's the case. I think there's a legitimate family issue going on with the reason. If if not, I think we'll find out relatively soon if something else is going on. But there's an entire month before he can be moved, so I don't think he's gonna start quitting on the team. Yeah, So we can assume Ariza's coming back. And when when Ariza comes back, I don't think he's going to the bench. We've heard that Igor is the one who asked for Ariza in the first place. I can't imagine he's going to relegate him to a bench role at this point. So let's say Ariza does start. It does not make sense to put Mikhail Bridges on the bench. He's been, been too, too good. good. He's, He's earned that spot, good. and we've looked really good with him on the floor. So I think that it's time to do that. How do you think that's going to look, though? Because we've seen Devin Booker's not quite capable of that, but I think it's worthwhile. Well,
3: I think defensively it's uh, going to look pretty good, actually. I-, I think Trevor Reza, we've been hard on him, uh, and I understand the s- the stats aren't quite there for him yet. He's averaging 10, 5, and uh, 3 assists. Basically, 34% shooting from deep is a little bit less than what we wanted, but I still think... The open corner threes for him are going to start falling eventually. And, you know, if you want him to be your secondary playmaker, you want him to run all of these pick and rolls um, and sort of break down the defense that way and start averaging four or five assists, you're just asking him to to do too much. But with a simplified role, I think that lineup could work, at least on the defensive end. Um, offensively, it depends on Devin Booker. Devin Booker needs to be in charge of breaking down the defense with Bridges in one corner, uh, Ariza in the other. And on the games where Devin Booker goes cold, it's a little bit hard to see how, how first of all, you even get the ball to DeAndre Ayton in the first place. Because in that lineup where Booker plays a one and you have no secondary playmaker, who's who's feeding DeAndre Ayton other than Devin Booker? Um, so I don't know. There, there are definitely some some serious issues that could arise. But I just think with the way Bridges is playing right now, it's so much better than anything else we've rolled out this season.
2: I think it's going to ha- I think it's going to happen actually. I think that there's a very strong possibility at least. I just I've seen it before so it wouldn't surprise me if all of a sudden we saw a Jamal Crawford starting lineup. I just don't want mikhail to end up on the bench especially what's coming up and I, I don't want to skip ahead to the preview but we got the 76ers in a in a very highly anticipated game and they have a pretty good starting lineup. Uh, it would be nice to have they have Jimmy Butler now, so it would be nice to have a few wings on the floor to guard them. Because if we don't, if if we're looking at Isaiah Kanan coming back, and then just Ariza and TJ, who guards Ben Simmons? Who guards Jimmy Butler? Those those guys. It would be nice to have uh, a combination of Ariza and Mikhail Bridges on those two guys. Um, not no no great solution there, but that's something that we're looking at. That's going to be a tough game. So if any game that you if any game you use to to whip out point book. It's probably this one. And one thing about Point Book I want to mention. So he had a pretty bad, I think it was seven turnovers against the Spurs. And there was a interview after that game. Oh, I knew where, you were going to bring this up. <laughs> yeah. Josh Jackson said Devin Booker was passing to the spot that players were supposed to be, understanding that it could turn into a turnover because that in his mind, I guess, that would be a way of him embracing that leadership role and saying, nope, you need to be here. This is where you need to be. And I'm going to pass it to that spot until you understand that that's where you need to be. So he's basically taking the burden of, of, of looking like maybe it's a bad game. And in this game, it, we kind of lucked out in a sense. I've talked about the unsustainability of five for five from three for Isaiah Kanan. Uh, and we won that game by 20 points. But at first, I was like, you yeah, know, whatever. That sounds kind of like bullshit, <laughs> to be honest.
3: That's, that's still my reaction, actually. <laughs>
2: but in the next game, 12 assists and only one turnover. Kind of interesting, right? I mean, maybe maybe that did have an effect on players and where they needed to be. I didn't see a lot of no-look passes, which we saw quite a bit of in that Spurs game from Devin Booker, so I'm not sure if it was exactly the same, but I could actually see... Uh, that happening a little bit uh, in, in some of those plays. I, I saw him passing to a spot at the three-point lane that ended up in the third row. I can see that being that kind of pass, but do, do you, you just think it's Maybe bullshit? not
3: completely. I just think it's a little bit of hyperbole on, on Josh's part. Now, of course, I'm not in practice. Maybe it really is true, and, and that's the leadership style yeah. that Devin is embracing now. Um, but th- this one game against the Thunder, we can't use Is It was a good game. 12 assists, one turnover again, um, but I, I don't want to use it as evidence. I didn't personally see anything... Um, that changed from one game to the other to demonstrate the fact that everything had suddenly clicked for this offense, and that you know all the players knew all of the right spots um <laughs> to go exactly where devin wanted them to be. I don't think it it works that fast, maybe long term it will though
2: yeah and and who knows if the starting lineup keeps changing over and over and over again, it's difficult to get any sort of chemistry, so whatever change does come and and i I think we we all want it to be uh Booker. At 6'6", at point guard. So this is a big starting lineup. This is what's nice about it. Booker, Bridges, Ariza. TJ should still effectively play the four with that kind of shooting. It makes sense for him to be that. I guess it's sort of interchangeable with him and Ariza and then Ayton. That's a really good lineup. It has the potential to have really good offense depending on if we can keep the turnovers down. But it also it's it's got size, so defensively it has a lot of potential. And if that ends up being the change, I really hope it's the change for a while because it may not work at first. We've seen it in short stints so far, and it hadn't that hasn't worked that well. But I think it's partially because they're not used to it. I think if we do make that change, we got to stick to it. We got to see what they can do.
3: Can we, uh, can we move on to start talking about the Rookie of the Year a little bit in this episode? And by Rookie of the Year, I don't mean DeAndre Ayton. I mean, do <laughs> we talk about Mikhail Bridges?
2: Yeah, let's talk about him. What do you, oh what do you think God. about Mikhail so far? I
3: love this kid. I, I'm being serious. Um, sorry, I'm joking. By the way, DeAndre Ayton is still the Rookie of the Year and I, I will continue to defend him over Luka Doncic, but. Mikhail Bridges, guys, he looks great. He's 22. He's from Villanova. I think we realized he would be a system player to some extent and that he would have an immediate impact. I think that's why he was drafted where he was. But frankly, with the Suns' poor track record of developing players recently, I don't know that I believe that he would make this fast of an immediate impact on this team. Um, he had four, uh, four steals, two blocks, and a second career start last night against the Oklahoma City Thunder. He played good defense on Dennis Schroeder and Paul George both posted a video of that on our um on our twitter page um and i also tweeted out a stat the nba.com tracks hustle stats such as the number of deflections that each player gets mikhail bridges per 36 minutes is averaging 3.2 deflections with those long arms that is more than josh jackson and tj warren combined and that's i mean josh jackson is no slouch i think he does a very good job of playing the passing lanes usually so it's just a testament to how good mikhail bridges has been at Applying defensive pressure. This kid, he's got it
2: all. So I found myself thinking about Mikhail and trying to think of a comp, like someone to compare him to. And I've made the Clay Thompson uh, comparison before. And until we really see his ability to sort of create for himself off the dribble, I don't know that we can really make that comparison. But it took a little bit for Clay Thompson to get there too. So it could be a Clay Thompson type defender. The problem is he's so much longer than Clay Thompson. So it's hard to make that comparison just because the way his body looks is so different than anyone else that sort of plays like him. Generally, players that have that long of arms, that affects their shot in a negative way. It's hard to have a defender that, that, that's that good and still be uh, that effective of a three-point shooter. So it's hard to even think of what Mikhail can be once he actually reaches his prime. But I have a feeling... It's going to be pretty good because that effective on both sides of the ball. It's it's a rare combination, and yeah, he can't create for himself yet, but man, he's he's looking he's looking really good, and I, he's got to hold on to that starting lineup. He's got to.
3: He he had a pretty nice move. Um, you know, I think one of the criticisms of him so far has been his ability or lack thereof to attack closeouts. But he he showed that even last night against Oklahoma City. Do you remember they overcommitted because he started? He opened mm-hmm. up the game with a couple of threes. And then at one point, I think it was late in the first half, um, he took a pass from from Devin Booker. They attacked the closeout, and um, he put a move in and drove right at Steven Adams and got the n one. So he's attacking the basket pretty effectively as well. Um, he's shown to be a good transition player so far, and it showed last night. When again, the Suns had 20 fast break points. They only allowed five to the Thunder. I'm fairly certain that that is the only time this season that they've been able to have that sort of discrepancy where they're actually playing faster than the team they're playing mm-hmm. and, and not getting outscored in mm-hmm. terms of that so yeah I don't know he, he looks great he looks like a, a praying mantis learned to play basketball <laughs> essentially and I love it
2: did you notice that he was trying really hard not to smile <laughs> yeah. after he got the end one that's the rookie thing it's it's easy to forget that he's a rookie because of how effective he's been he's playing like a veteran already but on that kind of play he wants to smile he can't we're down by 10 so he can't really smile. He can't celebrate when you're down by ten. He knows, uh, but it's just it's just one of those reminders. He's a kid. He's a kid, and he and he's just trying he, that. He enjoyed it just as much as we did. Before we take a break, I want to talk about two players: Devin Booker and T.J. Warren. Now, for different reasons. Devin Booker, I want to talk about his pre-injury stats before he was injured. It's only a few games, but before he was injured, he was averaging 28 points, seven assists. rebounds on 50, 38, and 81 shooting with 8.3 free throw attempts per game. Those are MVP numbers. Not a joke. MVP numbers. Incredible uh, numbers at the beginning. Post-injury, since his injury, he's averaging 20 points, so 8 points less, 7.6 assists, slightly more assists, less rebounds, 2.6 rebounds on 38, 30, and 87 shooting, and only 4.1 free throw attempts per game. His three-point attempts and his overall field goal attempts have remained the same, about 18 overall field goal attempts per game. Drastic decrease in points per game. Drastic decrease, and this is what I noticed yesterday, in free throw attempts because he's not he's, he's lost the burst. It's, it's clear that Devin Booker is not himself, and it's clear that it's from that hamstring injury because his athleticism and his speed has been affected. I know you've noticed this, Sam, but what do you think about uh, these stats?
3: They're a little a little concerning, mostly not even concerning. Look, I don't care about the Suns winning games. So if they're at all concerning, it's concerning in the sense that I just want Devin Booker to uh, not have his health fucked with <laughs> by the training staff. So I would hope that he really right. is at 100% um, when he comes back from an injury. And if he had to take more time off, then I would say give him all the time he needs in a season like this. Um I, I've also noticed the, the same thing that you have. It looks like he gets less separation on his step and, and he's just less daring in general. Um, credit to you for noticing the free throw disparity though, because I didn't, uh, notice that until you tweeted it out last night. I, at this point, I think we're far enough away from Devin coming back from the injury that it's almost a moot point. It, he's going to get better pretty soon and he's going to recover and start putting up the numbers that we're used to him seeing. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I can't lie. Um, I am a little bit concerned.
2: Well, Here's the thing about the way that Devin Booker plays. He, he suffered. He wasn't the most efficient player coming into the league as a kid, so he's still learning it. He became really efficient last season, and the Suns were bad at almost everything last season. But what they were good at is free throw attempts. They were top five in the NBA at free throw attempts. And one of the main reasons well, one, TJ Warren gets hit every drive to the basket, regardless of whether or not they call it, which they were not against OKC. But the other thing is if Devin Booker's struggling, when Devin Booker struggled last season, efficiency-wise, if he's missing a few shots, all he did was on an, either on a fast break or if they quickly run it down after a make, he got in front of his man by the right-to-the-left crossover, he took him to the left, and then he went up with that floater to get fouled. And he was capable of doing that four or five times a game. And he shot a lot of free throws as a result of that. And that's what helped his efficiency last year. He he was one of the most efficient players at the amount of field goal attempts he was taking last season. So he was very, very good at that. And if we lose those free throw attempts, we lose a big aspect of our offense. And that's something that I'm going to be monitoring because we need that from Devin Booker. We barely shot any free throws against OKC, and it started to hit me. Like this is this is what it is.
3: Yeah, I was going to say exactly that. Uh, DeAndre Ayton isn't giving you free throws right now either. Uh, you could chalk mm-hmm. up some of that to uh, officials hating rookies, but you could also chalk up a lot of it to DeAndre Ayton really likes that face-up game and doesn't necessarily make a lot of moves for himself. He's a finesse player. Where he's a finesse player. He doesn't look for contact necessarily. He's not an offensive enforcer, although he will get. Some free throws just by virtue of uh, those post ups and, and rim running plays. And then he finally you know, caught
2: a body, though. He finally caught he a body. Did finally,
3: <laughs> he did finally catch a body, and you changed it to your Twitter profile pick, which I yeah. enjoyed quite a bit. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, and then, you know, the rest of the offense Trevor Ariza, Mikhail Bridges, these are even TJ Warren to an extent now. These are spot up players um, or they're finesse players if they do attack the basket. And we know TJ doesn't get calls, and a reason Mikhail uh, certainly aren't going to get calls just standing behind the three-point line and chucking away. So the Suns' offense needs Devin Booker to be initiating that contact.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, if anything, it can. and and I know it's kind of hard right now, but if anything, it can make you feel good in that once he's fully healthy, this team has started to play better, but once he's fully healthy, you could see how this offense is going to work because it's been working for the last few games as as well as it has besides that Dallas game um, so far this season, I would say. And if we see him... Turn it back on if he's back to his normal self. I mean, thirty-eight fifty, fifty percent field goal percentage to thirty-eight percent. That's a drastic difference. That's it's a massive difference. And we've all seen his three-point shot is not fall, falling. It's an eight percent decrease as well. So if he gets back to those efficiency numbers, it's going to be pretty good. They're 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 actually going to turn it on. So that'll wrap that up. But on the next, you know, his three-point shot is falling. Yes. Oh, see, I should have had you segue that. Uh, Sorry, T.J. Warren. Uh. tj warren has been absolutely incredible so i made a video uh i called it work because i wanted to acknowledge we talked a little bit about it on our last podcast but i wanted to acknowledge that it's not an accident that tj warren is playing like he is because he put a ton of work into it this offseason and i want to go over a couple stats and then i'll hear what you think about this i know you did some research on your own too you might have some of these on your outline too but tj warren is averaging 17 points on 50 percent field goal shooting and 46% from three. He's currently part of the 50-40-90 club. He's shooting 91% from the free throw line. Do you know how many players this season are averaging 17 points or more on 50% field goal shooting and 45% or more from three? Uh,
3: two. Oh, okay. <laughs> I
2: thought it was Steph be Curry. like, like a, I get to guess. Uh, you don't, you don't have by. to answer. <laughs> you would have probably gotten this one, actually. Steph Curry and TJ Warren. Only two. And if you factor in three-point attempts, it's only happened 11 times in recorded NBA history. Only 11 times. And TJ is actually currently number six on that list in in true shooting percentage. Um, One thing about that list of 11 seasons, Steph Curry, of course, is the top two as far as true shooting percentage. And Steve Nash, number three. Mm -hmm. So um, that's another one on that list. At his position, TJ Warren was 57th in true shooting percentage last season. He's 13th this season, and if you actually factor in uh, 15, point, 15 points per game or more, he's actually second at his position. Um, he's more efficient than LeBron James, and he's currently the 13th most efficient player in the NBA. Eight, and is actually the seventh, and this is by true shooting percentage. This is incredible. I, I think that he's been good this season, but I, I just wanted to really highlight how good he has been. He is one of the most efficient players in the NBA offensively this season. He has been absolutely incredible.
3: Yeah, the the way TJ's playing right now, be still my beating heart. I mean, <laughs> mwah, this is just it's just perfect basketball, Mike, and and the true shooting jump from a 54% true shooting, which is slightly below average actually last season, to 62% mm-hmm. this year. It's as far as I know I wish I could research it more because I, I was joking yesterday. Basketball reference, you think they have a filter for everything. They actually don't. But as far as I know, it's um pretty unprecedented. I was looking back at some recent most improved player or most improved player candidates uh, in their seasons and and looking at which guys have had jumps in their true shooting that were that substantial. Goran Dragic, when he won in 2014, um, he increased his true shooting percentage by 6% over the previous year. Isaiah Thomas uh, didn't win most improved player, but in his second year uh, with Boston, he got some nods for it. And he also increased his true shooting percentage by just a tad over 6%. So for TJ Warren to be at 8% right now, just to put that in perspective, if he can keep that up, it absolutely puts him in the conversation for it. In order to actually win it, he he would need the Suns to start winning some games. And I also don't think 46% from deep is a uh, sustainable form, but I'm just really happy that whatever work he put uh, into... His game over the summer is is paying off.
2: Yeah, and I made that video on our Twitter feed. Please watch it if you haven't already. Uh, to talk about forty two thousand shots is what his trainer estimated that he he put in this season. I'm sorry, this summer in order to remake his shot like that. It takes a lot of work to get up to that, and I think we have to recognize that it's not a coincidence. And I think you talked about most improved player now. The thing is, this is going to be a real test for the NBA blog boys that blog boys. are going to vote for this because he's actually currently averaging less points than he was last season, and I expect that to change now that he's starting. You you actually tweeted some of his starting stats; it's insane twenty five more than twenty five points per game. Disgusting. So maybe it'll go up to, to pass. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it'll go up to pass those nineteen points that he was. But let's say It doesn't. He's still the most improved player in my mind. Because it's hard, like you talked about. It might be unprecedented. You know what I was actually thinking that we should take a look at is Channing Fry, into that 2009-2010 season and see how much his uh, his overall true shooting percentage changed because it was a similar increase in three-point percentage for Channing Fry in that season. And now we're seeing it with TJ Warren. So I'm wondering what that is. But I just wanted to give him more of a shout-out than, than that video. Oh, I my made-
3: God. Did you find it? Oh my God, Mike! You you fucking called it. You want me to? Went from a forty. Well, okay. So here's the thing: we know Channing to go on this quick tangent. Um, circa 2008 was almost out of the league. I mean, he barely he struggled to sort of sign a deal with the Suns mm-hmm. in the first place, and then played so well on that Western Conference Finals team that he got he earned himself a new contract. Um, but at the end of his mm-hmm. rookie contract, he really wasn't doing too hot. And sure, now 47 percent true shooting is last year with Portland to 60% with Phoenix his his first year. That's wow. huge.
2: And on a massive increase in usage rate, I would imagine, too. Massive increase,
3: yeah, and a massive increase in minutes. Now, here's the thing. I'm curious with TJ. I, I suspect you see that from role players all the time who actually kind of come out of nowhere and go from like a 5-minute, 10-minute-per-game role where they don't really play. And with Steve Nash. Yeah, and with Steve Nash. He
2: played with Steve Nash.
3: <laughs> and playing with Steve Nash. The other guy I was going to mention, Gerald Green, in 2014, I think probably you would see a, a similar... Uh, jump in terms of he went from a guy who's almost out of the league to just being really, really good for Phoenix at one year. But I'm curious how often it happens with guys who go from consistent spot to consistent spot. Like, how often do you really see a guy this deep into his career who was playing 30 minutes then and is still playing 30 minutes now have that much of a change in his game over one summer? I'd reckon it's not often.
2: Yeah, it's nice for a guy like Josh Jackson to see it happen right in front of him. And also to, to really... Credit it to the work that he's put in. That's what it takes. That's what it will take for Josh Jackson if it ever happens. I, I don't really... Josh Jackson's shot is, is a little more broken than TJ's been. I talked about it on the video. There were two main flaws in TJ Warren's shot. And I actually, I was telling Sam before we started recording, it, TJ Warren's shot last season was very similar to LeBron's early on in his career. The two problems that LeBron had, along with TJ Warren, were twisting on the after the release is, is actually how the trainer put it, but it's kind of in the middle of the release that you'll see the right foot sort of creep in front of the left foot and the body sort of turning right to left. Same with LeBron. Uh, On a lot of LeBron's game winners from three, you'll see that exact same shot sort of jumping and then twisting. And you put a lot of strength behind the ball that way, but that's kind of the problem a lot of times. It, it, It throws off the accuracy. The other problem was turning his hand over entirely. And that's not the types of problems that Josh Jackson's looking at, so I don't know if we can expect that. Josh Jackson would kind of have to remake his his shot entirely to have this kind of increase in efficiency. But to see it right in front of him, to see the work it took, that's the irony of Josh Jackson yelling at TJ Warren after all the work that TJ Warren has put into his game this year. Um, We'll see if it happens, but... Let's take a quick break, uh, and then we have some more stuff that we want to talk about after this break I think you'll find pretty interesting, along with previews for next week's games.
1: Hey guys, my name's Zach, Uh, I'm in uh, Summers Point, New Jersey, long time Suns fan, just recently started listening to the podcast, but I love what I hear, what I wanted to say is not necessarily a hot take, but I wanted to hear your guys' opinion on what makes you wince most about the Phoenix Suns, because for me, it's watching Josh Jackson chuck up one of those contested threes, you're saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, and he does, and it just looks so fucking bad. And then the other thing i got to say is I think people are being way too hard on DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, the defense sucks, but, I mean, you can tell it's going to improve. It's going to continue to get better. I, I wouldn't be surprised in a year or two if he develops a three-point shot. I mean, the guy's touch is so good. I mean, watching a player like this so polished that young, I mean, it's unprecedented. You don't see that that often. So, I mean, we've sucked for years and years and years. What's another year? Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for taking time. bye
2: Thank you so much for calling us, Zach. Shout out to uh, the East Coast there. Closer to you than me, Sam. <laughs> uh, that was a call that we got. Yeah, of
0: course. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, that, that was a call that we
2: got on our hot take hotline. I don't know. For those of you who didn't hear our last episode, uh, this is a new feature that we have. You guys can call us. You can leave hot takes if you'd like, but you can also just call us and ask us questions similar to what Zach just did. 530 433. Four three six eight is our phone number. Feel free to call. You can even text. I found out <laughs> that you can even text that number, and and we'll get those texts too. Maybe we'll have a chance to read those on air. So two things that Zach talked about that I want to talk about: um, DeAndre and whether or not you think that he's been getting too much hate from Suns fans so far this season so we'll talk about that second but first before we talk about that he the other thing he wanted to know is what makes us wince or the word that i thought of was cringe what makes us cringe the most when it happens on the court with the suns uh what what makes you cringe the most
3: there's a lot of things we could talk about right on a 3 and 12 team something we haven't talked about yet actually is rebounding um and specifically giving up offensive rebounds and second chance points now you know, for those of you listening, I'm not actually taking this in a DeAndre Ayton direction as much as I'm directing this at the rest of the team besides DeAndre Ayton. If you look at the past two games, uh, against the Spurs, we allowed 13 offensive rebounds. We only pulled five for ourselves on the other end. Against the Thunder, they allowed 14 offensive rebounds. They only got four. And uh, in, in the example of the Thunder game, for instance, DeAndre Ayton is so preoccupied with boxing out Steven Adams, who is just this humongous mass of a man that he really can't I mean he's going to struggle sometimes sometimes it is his fault he's not in the right position he's not boxing out to the extent that he should be but for the most part he is so preoccupied on just boxing out Steven Adams that other guys have to go in there and actually get the rebound whether that be TJ Warren who I understand has not historically been a great rebounder but now that he's a starting power forward kind of has to be um or guys like Josh Jackson Mikhail Bridges Trevor Ariza when he comes back rebounding is uh, a real problem for the Suns right now. And it's just really frustrating when you see a team play great defense for 20 to 24 seconds, they force a bad shot where they're able to contest it. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's second chance points for the other team anyway.
2: That's a really good one. Uh, the other thing with, with that, to that point, a lot of times Deandre is the one contesting the shot from a guard that just blew by one of our guards. And there's a lot of them that they can blow by. Isaiah a Jamal Crawford, Devin Booker, it's common that they let a guard right by them. And if DeAndre Ayton is the one contesting that shot, that means that he's not underneath the basket. He's probably not in position to box out his man, and uh, that leaves an easy offensive rebound for the center. It's up to other players on the Suns to recognize when DeAndre Ayton is on an island with a guard and immediately read and react and get a body or two on that guy, and it could be a defensive scheme thing. Maybe we shouldn't try to push DeAndre Ayton onto guards, although he's pretty good, as we've talked about, he's pretty good at defending wings, so maybe it's not the worst-case scenario. Somebody needs to recognize that and help, whether it be the guy coming off the corner or a guard just being extra physical with the center as much as they possibly can. We've seen it a lot of times where Kanan is just watching on those plays. I hate to... It's not Kanan's fault he's in this position. I hate to really (laughs) harp on him, but... (laughs) <laughs> he's not—he's not a starting point guard, and he's been thrust into that starting position. So I feel bad. So one thing I want to say, though, uh, Josh Jackson—oh
3: god—threes.
2: I don't—I think he needs to keep shooting those threes. For one, oh, so okay. if they're wide open, and a lot of them are wide open, yeah, yeah, he needs to keep shooting those. So those ones don't make me cringe. They—they they don't make me wince. But what does is the step back twos that he continually shoots over and over and over again and there's two types of them there's the ones that are early in the shot clock which those are the ones that drive me nuts and then there's the ones that when he's on the court we tend to throw the ball to him when there's six seven seconds left on the shot clock and then he's forced to isolate and shoot that's okay I'm okay with him shooting those Uh, I don't prefer them but I think there's only a few guys on this team that want it in that scenario really want it and I think that it's important that he does. I don't think we should take it away from him in those scenarios. I think Josh Jackson, we've seen it. He's, he's probably got the most passion on this team. It's okay to give him the ball when he wants it. If nobody else wants it, give it to him. No, that shot, very unlikely to go in. Uh, so I, it's unfortunate. But I think he'll get better over time. He'll figure it out. And, and he does get space. He's shooting a lot of those open. Um, it's just his release is so jacked. So hopefully over time he'll start to figure that out. But the one thing, I, I that, that wasn't even my choice, actually, to be honest. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> <laughs> the the one thing that makes me cringe th- that the most is when DeAndre Ayton is in position to contest and he doesn't. It really bothers me that he's got less than a block per game. A guy at his size, with his ath- athleticism, with his wingspan, should be walking into a block and a half per game. It should be nothing. Anthony Davis, Karl-Anthony Towns, uh, in their first season they averaged more than 2 blocks per game. This is something that he should be doing. He should be blocking shots and he's not. And a lot of it has to do with effort, maybe uh, maybe not understanding where he is. We talked about the difference between effort and and not knowing where you're supposed to be. At this point, I think he needs to know where where he's supposed to be. That's on the coaching staff if he doesn't. But he should be walking into at least a block and a half per game. That should be easy. What we should be surprised at is when he gets three or four blocks per game, not one. If you're averaging less than one, how can you do that at your size? That's insane to me. (laughs) Maybe this leads right into the other question he was asking, which have the fans been too hard on DeAndre Ayton? And I think some fans have. I think the the ones that were sort of on the Doncic side of the the great Suns' Civil War of 2018— those are the ones that have probably been a little too harsh on him, but I think overall, I think the criticism that he's getting for his defense is 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 warranted. And I think he will get better, but I'd say it's warranted. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I I agree with you that it's warranted for him to be averaging less than a block of uh, a block a game, excuse me. It's it's hard to defend. Um now granted, right. I don't think he's the reason the Suns are losing games, and that's why when people say Luka Doncic is the rookie of the year because the Mavs have 7 wins and the Suns have 3 it's it's reductive unreasonable logic um especially when Deandre Ayton has better advanced stats across the board than Luka Doncic in terms of efficiency in terms of net rating and and rpm all of those things but the defense it is a problem and and I'll be honest I think the reason it scares people so much is because there's precedent for <laughs> it reminds people and I'm not making this comparison because this is what I think but I think when people see DeAndre Ayton get his walk into twenty and ten on offense, and not contest shots on defense, they think of Jaleel Okafor. I think that's just mm-hmm. what people think of, especially because the Suns and the uh, are in a similar stage in the rebuild right now. Maybe you could even say that the Sixers were back then, where the focus isn't necessarily winning games, even though we'd like it to be. Um, and there are some serious differences between those two players. Jaleel Okafor was this lumbering, slow as molasses uh, big man who wasn't even efficient offensively in the way that DeAndre Ayton is. I mean, he can't get five more than five inches off the ground. And obviously, Ayton is sort of playing a role as a rim runner on offense right now. But defensively, I I think there's some serious cause for concern.
2: He's so, so much better than Jalil Okafor. I think we should just mention that. Well, here's the so thing. Much he's, so
3: much, he's so much better than Jalil Okafor. He has so much more natural talent than Jalil Okafor. He has so much more athleticism than Jalil Okafor, which is why people get... Frustrated because they know he can be so much better than that on defense. They know he can help rotate. They know he can guard the perimeter um, and, and they know he can contest shots down low as well. So when he's not doing that, is it because he's maybe not as in shape as he should be? Is it an effort thing? Is it you know part of this whole losing culture thing that we hear thrown around about the Phoenix Suns? Um, what is the answer if you know that the guy has the natural talent but isn't getting the results?
2: I think part of it is a fear of getting in foul trouble too. We need him throughout. Our offense works a lot better with him on the floor, especially as we talked about he's one of our better playmakers, uh, regardless of how good that makes the rest of our playmakers. But it it, it makes sense that he's trying to stay out of foul trouble, so that's that's probably part of it. Now one thing I actually just – sorry, throw a little surprise in here, but there was a moment last – season where the suns are playing the thunder of course we play them at least 10 times a season so <laughs> there was a moment where the suns were playing the thunder last season close game came down to the wire russell westbrook took over it kind of was a back and forth between russell westbrook and devin booker this is all off the top of my mind so i don't remember i didn't look it up before we talked about this but after the or during the final seconds of the game westbrook and devin booker were having a conversation on the court and uh, Westbrook was clearly talking at Devin Booker more than uh, an actual conversation. And uh, of course, after the game, reporters asked Devin Booker what Russell Westbrook said to him. Do you remember this, Sam?
3: I actually don't remember what he said.
2: Okay, Westbrook told Devin Booker to hold his teammates accountable. Mm. He basically, and I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this. Uh, I'm saying this off the top of my head again, but the, the 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 very basic of it is you're the star player now. It's your job to make them understand what is expected of them. And, and this was close to the end of the season. Devin Booker had an incredible season, of course. And I think Russell Westbrook recognized him as a future star in this league. And he gave him that advice specifically because there was a lot of players on the team that sucked last year. But the other thing is the ones that didn't, they deserve a little more accountability. And I bring this up to, to bring up a point here. Have you noticed that Devin Booker is harder on DeAndre Ayton than we've seen him on anyone on the court? He seems to yell at him after every mistake. He, he's he's really getting in on DeAndre Ayton more than I've ever seen it before. Did you notice this, or, or am I just talking out of my ass here?
3: I haven't done a rigorous statistical analysis of it, but um, I'd like to believe <laughs> that I've seen the same thing. Look... It's corny, maybe, to say this, but is it because he actually believes in DeAndre Ayton in a way that he never... Yeah. Like, would we see Devin Booker yell at Alex Len after a drop pass, or was it just par for the course at that point by Alex Len's fifth season? You know, he expects so much out of DeAndre Ayton, given that he's a first overall pick.
2: I like it. I don't think it's a problem. But when we're talking about
3: people being too hard... Yeah, well, if you're going to talk yourself up as Shaq and Kobe 2.0... You better right. you better put in the effort to be Shaq. You know, at least a bastardized version <laughs> of Shaq and Kobe 2.0. You can't be uh, Kobe and Kwame, certainly. So you know, I, I get it.
2: Yeah, I, I just noticed it, and maybe what I'll start doing is actually taking clips of him yelling at at, at, at um, DeAndre Ayton throughout the game because it's, it happens a lot more. And you know, I watched I've watched every game, regardless of how bad it was, for the last few seasons. So I've I've basically watched every game of Devin Booker's career, and I think we, I've seen more of him uh, being hard on DeAndre in a good way than I've seen uh, with any other player. And I think you're right. I think a lot of it has to do with understanding DeAndre DeAndre's potential and the potential for them as a team. So I highlighted a play. I'm going a little off course again, but I highlighted a play on our Twitter account. I finally got some proper, uh, screen capture software on my computer (laughs) and I can pull random plays throughout games now. And I highlighted a pick and roll on the left wing between DeAndre and Devin Booker were, It was sort of a pick, a slow pick and roll, which I actually like. I don't think that Devin Brooker needs to rush around it. Um, And then a lob pass to DeAndre Ayton in in a short roll position where he passed out to Mikhail Bridges on the right wing, the skip pass for a three. Um, And what I noticed and what I thought was important to point out on Twitter was that all five guys were looking at DeAndre Ayton as he caught the ball. All five guys. And it just makes you think, with these two guys as your cornerstones, It should be easy to have a top 10 offense in the NBA once they reach their primes. These two guys are insanely good at offense, and they play complementary positions. So it makes sense that we picked a big, especially with Devin Booker as our committed star. We should be able to put—it's on the Suns' front office to put the right kind of players and create the right kind of system around them because our offense can be insanely good with those two guys. They draw both of them draw a lot of attention from defenders and we have to properly take advantage of that. That's why guys like Mikael Bridges are so important.
3: Yeah, well if you have two 40% percent three point shooters and Mikael Bridges and TJ Warren theoretically, literally all you're missing is that secondary playmaker that we were talking about at the beginning of this episode. That's it. And Rubio. Well yeah. I, Rubio. Here's the Rubio. thing, I really like Rubio. <laughs> if you want to get into a really let's do a really quick free agent conversation. I, oh, man, yeah. Really quick, really quick, because we've got to preview these games. I like Ricky Rubio. He's been struggling mm-hmm. this season. The more and more I think about it, it gets back to our rebounding problem earlier. Yes. Right? So, Yes. the Suns are struggling to get rebounds. This happens anytime you play three wings at the two, three, and four, um, because y- you get more shooting, but you sacrifice strength. And the more I think about it, any of the Suns fans who are on the Kevin Love bandwagon for like the past five years or so, remember basically Kevin Love's entire tenure... In Cleveland, there were some Suns fans being like, let's trade for Kevin Love because he rebounds and he spaces the floor. The top power forward free agent next year is Nikola Mirotic, who's currently averaging 20 and 10. He's a good three-point shooter. And I'm starting to wonder if maybe that's the... Because, let's face it, the Suns, they could put themselves into the Kevin Durant conversation. They could put themselves into the Kyrie Irving conversation. It's not actually going to happen. <laughs> nope. So if you want to throw money at nope. a big fish, maybe a guy like Nikola Mirotic is the best you can do who would be a phenomenal... um offensive pairing uh, with the rest of this team, I think. And then with the rest of your cap space money, which you could get by waving and stretching Ryan Anderson, you could look at some slightly more budget point guard options to, to latch on to that secondary playmaker.
2: If TJ Warren keeps up these shooting percentages, he's our starting power forward of the future. He just is. It makes well, sense to keep him at that power forward So position. keep
3: in mind, Trevor Rees is gone in this scenario. So Mirata, right, you're talking about maybe you scale Warren back to the three... Uh, Miritich is the four, and now you come to, you can basically run a three man guard rotation of Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, and insert free agent option here. There are some, some interesting point guards on the, on the lineup. Maybe you could throw money at Terry Rozier. Who knows? I mean, I'm not a huge fan, but, but there's all sorts of options that we can cover in future episodes.
2: Did you hear that? I just heard it. It was every Suns fan's heart just tearing in half because you didn't even mention Mikhail Bridges as a starter. How dare you? Well,
3: Mikael Bridges is either going to start at the two and then Devin Booker's going to start at the one or Mikhail Bridges is going to get his 25 minutes a game. Uh, but he's he's going to have to not be a starter at least so soon. Now, the other guy I didn't yeah. mention is Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson needs to figure out his shit soon or else in this dream scenario that I'm talking about where TJ Warren's at the three, Miritich is at the four, Josh isn't really yeah. playing any minutes. But hey... You know, you got to earn minutes by your third season in the NBA. That's just how it works.
2: Think about this, Suns fans who are listening. What Sam just talked about shows how important what we do throughout the season is because we have to find out if point book is a real possibility because then we can focus on guys like Nikola Meritich, that would be a theoretical great fit next to DeAndre Ayton uh, at, just as he is with Anthony Davis. They, Anthony Davis and DeAndre Ayton theoretically have similar sk- skill sets. You know, of course, Anthony Davis being one of the best in the NBA, but... That's the kind of potential DeAndre Ayton has on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, Miritich, pretty good defender too. Not, Of course, not a great defender, but I would say that he's mediocre, which is a step up for a lot of uh, players that we've had in the Suns in the past. It's just when you think about Ricky Rubio fitting into the starting lineup, he would be the best passer we've had since Steve Nash and uh, very good at getting the ball down low to DeAndre Ayton.
3: He would. The only question is, can Ricky Rubio uh, shoot? which last year it seemed like he could, and this year it seems like he can't. So honestly, do, now I'm confused. Do you
2: need to guard him is more important than can he actually shoot, and I actually think that he needs to be guarded out on that three-point line. Um, and, and yeah, it remains to be seen, but maybe Igor is the Rubio whisperer. <laughs> we'll see what happens uh, next. That We have a long way to go to talk about free agency, uh, but it's going to be an interesting free agency with the amount of cap space the Suns could potentially create. The Suns are about to go on their longest road trip, this uh, so far this season, a four-game road trip. Um, generally, I love watching Devin Booker on an Eastern Conference road trip. It's not the <laughs> healthiest he's been, so it's going to be a little more difficult as far as uh, uh, what we're looking at. But the most hotly anticipated game, of course, it would be nice if it was here at home. But the most hotly anticipated game coming into the season was the Seventy Sixers versus the Suns because of the trash talk that Joel Embiid <sighs> was sending DeAndre Ayton's way <laughs> in the draft. Uh, the Seventy Sixers look a little, look a little different. Um, they just beat Kemba Walker, dropping sixty on them, and they still won. The Seventy Sixers still won. So, as we know, as a Suns fan, nothing Kemba Walker did in that game matters at all. He may as well have scored um, ten points, as far as most NBA fans are concerned. Because when you lose, it doesn't matter how much you they score. They were just
3: it. giving. They were just giving him the ball. Did you see it? They were fouling the other team to get them more possessions. Oh, how wait, dare they do? No. That? <laughs>
2: um so 76ers jimmy butler's on the team now uh, did you know that sam <laughs> we haven't actually talked uh, about i think it I, I think i heard
3: something about it um you know i'm not that in tune with the what goes on in the rest of the league but i think i heard about it
2: quickly how do you feel about that game how
3: i feel about that game is joel Embiid is going to score 40 points probably with 15 yeah. rebounds on really good shooting look that's the reality of where we're at with this guy right now he's putting up boogie cousins numbers mvp um,
2: potential mvp a, a,
3: Potential MVP. I think the more likely MVP actually is a a different guy we're going to face on this road trip. But we'll get to him in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel Embiid looks really good. Jimmy Butler shooting fifty eight percent through his first three games at a Sixers uniform. I think to escape with a win here would be uh, it's not impossible. Remarkable. Booker scored. It would be remarkable. That's a great yeah. word for it. Booker scored forty six last time he played this team on the road. But we're questioning his health, and yeah. um, I I wouldn't be surprised if for those of our listeners who are redditors I wouldn't be surprised if Joel Embiid puts DeAndre Ayden. here's what's going to happen DeAndre Aiden's going to have a good game he's going to score 20 and 10 Joel Embiid's going to score 35 he's going to put DeAndre uh, DeAndre Aiden on a poster and that particular poster is going to have 25,000 upvotes on rNBA <laughs> That's my official prediction and the and the Suns lose Damn it I'm sorry. it's just That's where that's where we're at
2: Yeah this is the type of game that Joel Embiid circles and he he goes into this game to make a point, and it doesn't. I will say DeAndre Ayton doesn't appear to have that kind of personality. So we'll see what kind of energy, what kind of effort DeAndre Ayton puts into this game. But I know that he's going to go into it. Let's say the nerves are going to be there. The nerves are going to be there, and I think he's going to try and make a point as well. The next game is at the Bulls. The Bulls. This is the most winnable game on this road trip. The That's Bulls. Exactly it's the bit, phrase
3: I was going to use. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting game. Wendell Carter Jr. I I saw him up close in summer league. He's awesome. Uh, I believe Laurie Markkinen is still out. Zach Levine is averaging an insane amount of points so far this season. Uh, Offensively, they're they're okay. Defensively, they're yeah. They they don't look. The Bulls aren't good. (laughs) They're not good. And this would be a nice win for the Suns to get on this road trip because it's probably the only one that's that you could really put some money on.
3: The Suns have only played Toronto, Boston, and Brooklyn out of the entire Eastern Conference so far this season going into this road trip, which sucks because two of those three teams are really, really good, and the rest of the East is, for the most part, dog shit, so you'd like to think you can beat up on on some of these other teams. This is There are no must-win games for the Suns in a season like this, but this is a must-win game only in the sense that they need to win to prove that they can assert their dominance over all of the other shitty teams in the NBA. Wendell Carter Jr. <laughs> looks really good so far. Uh, granted he's averaging 16 10 and 3 per 36 minutes Aiton is averaging 18 11 and 3 just to prove how close these two guys are which maybe validates the opinions of a couple of blog boys out there in the in the void somewhere who actually like put Wendell Carter ahead of DeAndre Aiton on their big boards because that did happen going into the draft Um, but that being said Wendell Carter right now his efficiency isn't quite there he looks much better on defense where he's blocking a lot of shots. Um, but he has fallen in love with his his jumper a little bit too much, and it his lid um it's led to some mixed results. So this is definitely a winnable game for the Suns. Just quickly, justice for Shaq Harrison. Uh, yeah, it, Shaq Harrison has played We're eight games. There. He's played Come eight on games. That train. Hey, I'm the con- I'm the conductor. I'm I'm rolling in with the train, guys. He's played eight games, 17 minutes per game. He's averaging 16, eight and five per 36 minutes. He's averaging four steals per 36 minutes on a 53% true shooting. So, sorry to beat that dead horse real quick, but you know I just had to do it as as we're about yeah. to see this guy play again. And uh I I, I wish we still I wish we saw his defense. DeAnthony Melton has impressed me through two games, but I wish we saw had Jack Harrison's defense. That's all I'll say.
2: Yeah, I'm going to say it right now. Ayton's going to dominate Wendell Carter Jr. after being I really, dominated I really by Joel Embiid. So.
3: <laughs> yeah. Let's 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 go with that.
2: Two more games. Uh this one at, at Bucks um MVP. That's a guaranteed loss to me. That's yeah. a guaranteed loss. What, yeah. Who do we have to defend them uh, with all the three point shooting? You know that Bledsoe is going to really pick it up in that game because he wants to prove it. Still, uh, we don't really have anyone to guard. Nobody has anyone to guard Giannis. So, what are we going to do about him?
3: With the Eastern Conference, so I don't, I don't know. You know how close our listeners pay attention to the Eastern Conference, but so for anyone who doesn't know, the Bucks went from shooting 25 threes per game last year under Jason Kidd to 40 this year under Budenholzer. They completely revamp they completely revamped their team and part of it was through a little bit of a roster overhaul they brought in some new shooters but also they're just settling for fewer stupid shots now that Jason Kidd was having them take Jason Kidd wanted a guy like Thon Maker to shoot mid-range shots when that wasn't his game now you've got guys like uh well first of all Middleton 45% Brogdon 43% Snell 45% these are all their three-point shooting numbers you already knew that these guys could shoot and then you bring in an acquisition like Brooke Lopez Mike thank you um one of my—also, well, John Henson shoots threes now? What the fuck? Like, this entire team, except <laughs> for Giannis, is, is just killing you from yeah, downtown. He's like 9%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like 9%, and it doesn't even matter, because this is still one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league. And Brooke Lopez is one of my favorite players in the NBA now for the way that he has reinvented his game to fit in with the modern NBA. Yeah. People look at the box score. He's Channing now. He's Channing. People look at the box score. They say, "How how is this guy averaging three rebounds per game as a seven-footer? It's because he's doing the classic Steven Adams. He boxes out with all of his thickness, and then Giannis grabs a defensive rebound. He guns it down the floor for transition buckets. And on offense, the guy is, is taking seven threes per game. He's hitting him at a 43% clip. He's just the pinnacle of the um the stretch five. And, and it's right. working out really well for them, and, and this is a guaranteed loss. Sorry to say, guys.
2: I I've, I completely agree. If we do win, it would be remarkable. Once again, it's going to be Aton's got to be really uh, disciplined in this game because it's easy to forget that a guy like Brook Lopez hits threes now and all you have to do is put your arms down and he'll shoot right over you. And he and he's put up he's had multiple games of more than 10 three-point attempts and, and he was 8 for 13 in a game recently. This is he's a real three-point shooter now. Yeah, we can't think of the old Brook Lopez. He's a new player now. The next one is the Pistons. At Pistons. In Detroit proper now, I guess. Uh Blake Griffin started out the year as a potential MVP candidate. He he played really well. They they went off on a losing streak a little bit after that. Uh but it's gonna be it's it's a very interesting game as far as matchups. I'm not sure who's gonna guard Blake Griffin. Uh they have Andre Drummond on the floor. Andre Drummond is the is massive. He's a huge guy. It's not gonna be easy for DeAndre Ayton to to move him in the post at all so you can expect Aiton to be shooting some jump shots in that game. Um, they, Ish Smith is still, I believe, still on that team. What do you think about the Pistons game?
3: Uh, well, you know, stop Blake Griffin and you win the game. Uh, essentially, no one else on this team yeah. is going to beat you. This is a winnable game for Phoenix. Uh, Detroit's struggling a little bit. They, re- they remind me a little bit of that Clippers team actually last year that came out of the gate really strong. I think it was like 5-1 and one to start the season. Everyone was like, are the Clippers good? And then suddenly, oh, they're not so good. But um, th- this is still a solid team. Uh, Andre Drummond is going to grab his rebounds and maybe really hurt the Suns in terms of uh, second chance points. And also the other thing is that Andre Drummond used to be this horrendously, abysmally bad free throw shooter. That's not as much the case anymore. Now he's at least passable. So the more um, putbacks you give him, uh, the more free throw opportunities it'll generate for him as well. And then he'll get to line. He'll hurt you from there, too. But, uh, yeah, I really think it comes down to Blake Griffin because, realistically, Reggie right. Jackson is just not playing that well. Reggie Bullock is not hitting open threes. Stanley Johnson is is there. Josh Jackson, essentially. Um, so I don't really see who else on this team can really hurt you unless a random role player goes off for 25 off the bench, like a Langston Galloway or something.
2: Problem is we have no one to guard Blake.
3: Yeah, well, it's got to be TJ. TJ's got to man up and move uh, his feet. He will. He's got the he's strength. to move
2: him around. And the thing that's yeah. always
3: impressed me about Blake Griffin is, you know, his his ball handling ability is off the charts. But he's also got that strength where he can push a guy like TJ around.
2: Yeah, and that's where he's been doing a lot of his work so far this season. He has the three point shot more than he's ever had, I think. But I actually would like to see some Deandre Ayton on Blake Griffin in this game because uh, that's probably our best option. He has the ability to guard him. Uh, On the perimeter, you know, Blake's got those guard skills, so I think we've seen... DeAndre Ayton really move his feet and get stay in front of guards. he's gonna need to do that against a guy like Blake Griffin, and the other thing is he's got the strength that if Blake does end up trying to back him down or or he does that really that, that spin move that it's essentially an offensive foul, but they're never going to call it, and they shouldn't. I don't think they should, but that spin move is essentially Blake Griffin dropping his shoulder into your sternum and then putting it up over you <laughs> that's the type of contact that DeAndre Ayton could actually take and potentially still contest that shot or or even maybe flop I, I think more people should probably flop on that play and then get some uh, offensive fouls you know that they wouldn't get that call but I'd like to see some uh, DeAndre and I don't know who would guard Andre Drummond in this imaginary scenario but he's not much of an offensive threat anyway so maybe we can put a guy like uh, Trevor Reza or TJ Warren on him and then sort of work out the rest of it
3: yeah I was gonna say like maybe a motivated Trevor Reza comes back and guards Blake Griffin pretty well uh, if you ask me last year, I would say Houston Rockets, Trevor Reza could do a pretty decent job of it, but I, I don't know if Phoenix Suns, Trevor Reza can uh, match that same intensity. So, one and three? Yeah, it sounds like uh, one and three is realistic, but let's go with two and two. I'm feeling the, All right. uh, the new energy in this team after the last week. Two straight games where the Suns didn't get blown out. And, guys, whatever uh, else the national media says about us, they can't take that away from us. Two straight games, no <laughs> blowouts. Uh, the, look, the Thunder game looked pretty good. Here's what I just one more thing to go back to the Thunder game really yeah. quickly. We lost by 10. It was respectable. Outscored them on the fast break again, 20 to 5. Had that game happened two weeks earlier where Trevor Riza and Ryan Anderson both got 30-plus minutes and Mikhail Bridges was barely playing and TJ Warren wasn't starting, that would have been the opposite. The Suns would have had five fast break points. It would have surrendered 20, and, and right there, that's a 25-point blowout instead of a respectable 10-point loss. Now, I understand Russell Westbrook didn't play. And that's why you can't really give the team too much credit for a ten point loss at home when the opposing team's best star didn't play. But I can feel the new energy. Um, I need something to look forward to. My brain tells me one and three, but my heart tells me two and two. And my heart also tells me that one of those two wins is going to be against Joel Embiid and the 76ers.
2: Oh. Ooh. I like it. If we if we can see any sort of uh... Pre-injury Devin Booker type of game on this road trip. That's the one I, w- I want it to be because that's what it'll that's what it'll take. Definitely, uh, Sam. It's been kind of nice to have a, a, a an episode with just you and I. It's been a while since we've talked this long. <laughs> yeah,
3: it has. I I love the uh, the intimacy. You know, anytime I can just yeah. get you all to myself.
2: <laughs> no, Jackson Frank,
3: <laughs> Mike. I get jealous um, of all these other people you're talking to. That's all I'm saying.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess I was on the seven seconds or less podcast with that too. So <laughs> sorry about that. Um, stick stick around next week. Uh, hopefully we can talk about. I wanted to talk a little bit more about Igor. We went into this episode th- thinking we didn't have much to talk about. and Now we're going on seventy minutes recording, so <laughs> we should probably end it now. Uh, fans, remind me. We're gonna talk about Igor next week. We'll, we'll we'll have four games to talk about his coaching decisions. So we can we can. Do a little extensive conversation about the changes that have been made over the last few weeks. So, uh, thanks for listening.
3: Keep calling into our hotline is the only closing note I want to say. Keep um, Hot takes, uh, questions, whatever you have, we love hearing from you guys, and maybe it will appear on a future podcast. Thank you for all the participation right. we us so far.
2: That's right. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We all have accounts now. Oh,
1: Hey. Tim Tompkins here from the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. So you just got done listening to the Timeline podcast. Mike and Sam do a great job.
2: I listen to every single episode. And if you're like me, you want even more Sun's content. So since you've wrapped up this episode of the Timeline, head on over and subscribe to the
1: Sun Solar Panel Podcast. Chances are we have a new episode that you will enjoy. The
2: Sun Solar Panel Podcast available on iTunes, Google Play, and basically anywhere